Father God, our, our hearts are, are moved. They've been moved tonight through worship. They've been moved as we've sung about the wonderful grace of Jesus. Oh, our hearts have been so moved when we pay tribute to those who have gone before. And even though I didn't know those people, Lord, the stories of their generosity, their faithfulness, their love just rings so true in my heart. Lord, then to have that shocking realization that one day that'll be our picture up on a screen. And they'll be talking about us. And then, Father, to hear the words of that song, give me Jesus. Father, fame means nothing. Success means nothing. Wealth means nothing. The best that this world has offered really doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Because when it's all done and over, we just simply say, give me Jesus. So Father, tonight in these moments, I ask that you'd give my lips clarity as I speak. I pray, Father, that as we call people to the cross and call people to Jesus, that this place be marked by a hunger, a turning, Repentance, commitment. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Two boys were walking down the road. One looked at the other and said, Who's that? Who's that old man that lives in that little house? I don't know. Who is that old man? Such a little house. Such an old man, no one sees him. I'm not sure anyone even knows who he is. Who is that old man that lives in that little house? Who could he be? Tonight, I want to tell you a Bible story you probably never heard in your life. It's about the old man in the little house. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And tonight what I want to do is I just want to share with you, and I want to share with you quickly tonight about the old man who ended up living in the little house. And it's a story of King Uzziah. It's a story of King Uzziah. Now I want you to take two things and just kind of put them opposite each other. King Uzziah, old man, little house. Second Chronicles chapter 26. It's an amazing story of a life message of what I'm going to call the boy king. The boy king. In 2 Chronicles 26, let me just read this to you, and I'll make some comments as we read this together. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king. 16 years old, and made him king. Is there anybody in the house tonight that is 16 years old? Just raise your hand if you're 16 years old. Anybody here 16 years old? In the back, I see one, I see two. 16 years old. St stand up, you 16-year-olds right here. I want them to see you. I want you to look at the new king right there. Would you welcome your new king? 16 years old, and they made him king you got to say, these guys are nuts. What in the world are they doing 
with a 16-year-old as king. But they made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one that now had died, rested with his father. Verse 3, when Uzziah was 16 years old, he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. Now, come on, figure this out. 16 plus 52 equals what? He had three years of Social Security. That's all he had, three years. 52 years he reigned as king. That's longer than the average pastor stays in a church today. Oh, that should have got a laugh. 52 years. 52 years. What did it say about him? Said verse 4, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now what you're going to begin to see is a story of the first half of this, this boy king, 16. His name is Uzziah. Say that together out loud. Uzziah. Say it. Say it again. Uzziah. You've probably not heard much about Uzziah. 16 years old and his life message for the first half of his life is this. God's grace enables us to overcome great obstacles. It's on the screen. Read it together out loud with me right now. God's grace allows us to overcome great obstacles. And what he's going to do is he's going to overcome great obstacles. Number one, he is 16 years old. Number two, he is now king. Number three, in verse four, he did what was right. Verse 5, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. I mean, this kid is a rocket ship. You talk about boy wonder. You talk about someone that's got it all together. It is Uzziah. God's grace enabled him to overcome great obstacles. It's just amazing. Go, I've got to just quickly, you've got to see how this is it. This is incredible. 16 years old, straight up and to the right in everything he does. In fact, look at this in verse 5. He sought wise counsel in Zechariah. His fame begins to spread. Verse 6, look at this. He goes to war against the Philistines. And he, he broke down the walls of Gath. And he rebuilt towers near Ashdod. Verse 8, the Ammonites, the Mennonites, the Termites bought tribute to Uzziah. And his fame spread as far as the borders of Egypt because he had become very powerful. 16 years old, rocket ship, straight up and to the right. I mean, this kid is a can't miss. And he's doing everything right as his chart is straight up and to the right. It just gets better. Look at verse 9. He builds towers in Jerusalem. He builds towers in the desert. Verse 10. He dug cisterns because he had so much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. Today, Christy and I took off, went for a little drive. We wanted to explore a little bit around the thumb. We wanted to see if we could find one of those wind-powered things somewhere. Oh, my goodness. You guys. I mean, it's just all over. We looked at those things. We studied those things. We said, somebody's doing something somewhere up here in the thumb. I'm a farm boy. I checked out the crops. I saw the wheat that had been harvested. I saw the soybeans that were growing. I saw what I think might have been sugar beets ready to meet their death over here across the other side of the tracks. I saw big old farms. I did what I shouldn't have done. I looked at grain bins. 
I live in Brock country. When you drive by a bend and it says Brock on it, that comes from our area. Warren Buffett bought it out, but it's still a good bend. And I saw all these farmers with these grain bins, and I thought, wow. This is nothing compared to Uzziah. Straight up, to the right, rocket ship. He had so much livestock. I went to the fair last week for one day before, in between a couple trips. Went to the county fair, and I, I walked in the dairy barn. And, and, and they started talking to me about the difference between Jerseys and Holsteins and Guernseys. And I tried to act like I knew what they were talking about. This one gives more milk and higher better butter fat and better ice cream. And they'll ship it to the camp and you'll all eat it free last night. But it just, it's just, just a story in there. This guy is, he can't miss. Everything he touches turns to gold. Go on, it, it just gets better. It just gets better. Verse, look at this in verse 11. Uzziah not only became the Warren Buffett of his day, he also became the General Patton of his day. I mean, this guy becomes this military guru in general. Verse 11, what does it say about him? It says in verse 11, Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered up by all these people with crazy names. The total number of the, of the men who led was over 2,600 generals. Donald Trump keeps talking about, he says, my generals. Donald, you don't have near as many generals as what Uzziah had. 2,600 leaders. How big was his army? Over 300,000 in his army. Hang on. Hang on. He had the ability to build weaponry that was off the charts. In fact, this, this is incredible. Look at the weaponry that he built. This is incredible. Verse 15, in Jerusalem he made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. This is, this is unbelievable. Christy and I this summer went for a few days down to uh, Virginia. We went down to Jamestown and, and all that stuff, and we were, we were seeing how they had their weaponry and what they did. This guy was on the cutting edge of weaponry. He built these things that he'd put on the corner defenses, put these big stones in there. I don't know if he used gigantic rubber bands or what he did, but he found a way to put those things, to throw those things out, and everyone was scared to death of this guy. 16 years old. Everything is going great. The future looks bright. Nothing could be better. Wealthy, military power. Look, look at the last thing it says in verse 15. It says, his fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. He had two million friends on Facebook. He was it. This was it. First half of his message, life messages. That God enabled this guy to overcome incredible obstacles. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the rest of the story. Verse 16. Look at verse 16. What's the first, in, in, in the New International Version, what's the first word of verse 16? Yeah, you got it. You are on the game. But. And I want to talk to you about the second half of his life. 
Just as everything was straight up and to the right, he was right. He, his popularity and fame and wealth and agricultural assets were rising faster than the stock markets going these days. Straight up to the right, but, and I want to talk to you about the second half life message, and it's this the blessing of God is revocable. The blessing of God is revocable. In fact, the story of what happens in the second half of his life is one of the most tragic stories, and it grips my heart. When you read the story of the second half of his life, you're going to begin to see what God destined for greatness. Who is this old man living in this little house? Who is this old man living in this little house? Because that's not what God designed for him. Watch this. I want to show you what happened in the second half. In the second half of his life, in verse, six, in, in verse 16, he became powerful and his pride led to his downfall. He was ungrateful to the Lord, his God. He entered the temple to burn incense on the altar of the incense and and Azariah, the priest, with 80 others, courageous priests, came and confronted him and said, you can't be doing this. This is for the priest to do. You should not be doing this. You've been unfaithful. You will not be honored by the Lord your God. And Uzziah, verse 19, had a censer in his hand and ready to burn incense. He became angry. And while he was raging at the priests in their presence before, all, before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the others looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out. Instead, he was, indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Verse 21, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. And he lived in a separate house, a little house. Leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Verse 22, the other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried near a field for the burial that belonged to the kings, for the people said, he had leprosy and died an old man in a little house. Now I want to make some simple observations. Observation number one. Observation number one. Success has ruined far more people than failure. Success has ruined far more people than failure. Tonight I feel like I'm coming to you as a prophet in the wilderness. And I don't know y'all well. I don't know what's happening in your life. But I am here to tell you that tonight there's someone within the sound of my voice that has been blessed by God. And God has given you a job. And God has given you a family. And God has given you favor beyond anything you deserved. And God's smile has been upon your life. And yet somehow or another, you are at that point where you have begun to take it for granted and you've begun to feel in your own strength and your own self that you have this power, you have this blessing, and that everything you have is going to be good. 
And I'm here to tell you tonight that success can be very, very dangerous, can be very, very dangerous. Learn what it is to get on your face before God, humble before him, and cry out to him every moment of every day. Your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter may be special. They may be first in their class. They may get the awards. You may feel like you've got life by the tail, but don't ever remember this. God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Success has ruined more people than failure. I'm so embarrassed to have to share this story with you. It's about 15, 20 years ago. I had the opportunity to go back to a church that I attended when I was a college student, and I love that church. The day I walked into that church as a college student, I thought this is the way the church ought to be. It was like every Sunday was Bayshore Camp. Those people sang, they just about had a hallelujah breakdown. I mean, it was just, it was, in, the preacher could preach. This guy, I, I sat there with my mouth wide open, said, how does he do this? It was incredible. The Spirit of God was on the house. In my freshman year of college, I said to myself, someday I want to go on staff at that church. I, I want to join that team. I was so hungry to be invited to be on that team. I would have paid them money if they'd let me be on their staff. I was that desperate to be on the team. End of my freshman year, a buddy and I went to church that night, Sunday night at this church. They still had those old fireball Sunday evening services. Man, it would rock and roll. It was something else. And the pastor who didn't know us came up to both of us. And there was something inside of me that said, Dave, this is your moment. He's going to look at you. He's going to see your heart, your talent. He's going to see what you want. And he's going to invite you to join the team as a student pastor. And I was all ready. He came over with a big smile on his face, a warm handshake, a friendly greeting that he always had. And he said, you guys, I'm so glad you're here tonight. And then he turned to my friend and he said, would you like to join my staff? I thought, he's got the wrong number. He's not listening to God. I'm the one that's supposed to be on this. I walked away that night and just crushed. My buddy went on staff. God blessed him. He had the opportunity of his lifetime. Go with me now 15, 20 years later. I'm back at that church visiting. A relative of ours got married. And I walk into that church on a Sunday morning. I look around. And it's kind of an honor to be in that building. An old sly foot the devil began to work in my mind. And he began to say to me, do these people know who you are? Do they know the size of the church that you pastor? Do they know the size of the church that you pastor is twice this size? And all of a sudden, this thing started happening to me. It was, it was pride. It was pride. And I started to entertain that thought for a second. I didn't need you guys after all. And I'm not all that bad. And, and my buddy who did this thing, he's not all that great. And it was like the Holy Spirit just kicked me in the bottom across the room and said, buddy, I will destroy you faster than I brought you up if you take one ounce of credit for what I've done. The glory belongs only to the God. He will share it with no one. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to tell you, pride will kill you. I found myself broken that day on my face, embarrassed by the thoughts that went through my mind and the temptation to try to tape off some of the blessing of God to say, I am okay, aren't I? That's exactly what Uzziah did. Number one, if you're here tonight, God says, I'm not going to be able to use you. You're going to end up an old man down by the little house. They're going to walk by and say, who is that old man? Because you've taken for yourself credit and honor 
and you've not humbled yourself before the Lord. God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Number two, second observation on this passage is this. It's not how well you start, but how well you finish that really counts. It's not how well you start. It's how well you finish. Uzziah had a rocket ship start. I mean, it couldn't have gone any better. This thing is scripted better than Hollywood could have made it. But God doesn't say it's not how well you start. Some of you have had a terrible start to your life. Some of you have had an ugly start. Some of you say, man, I messed up a marriage. I messed up my finances. How many of us in this room say, don't we wish God would have given us a second chance to raise our kids? I always say grandkids are God's reward for not killing your kids. You know, I mean, that's, aren't they great? They're incredible. There's things that come off our lips that never should have come off our lips. But, but, but here's the lesson. It's not how well you start, but how well you finish. He who endures to the end, he who endures to the end is going to have a crown of righteousness. Now, I'm not talking about salvation by works. I see people all the time that are rocket ships in their start with Jesus Christ, but they get off track. They started chasing after the cross, and then their eyes got on the dollar sign. They started chasing after Jesus and following him, and then their guys got on some woman somewhere other than their wife, and they went off and abandoned. I find people then who go through the form of godliness but deny the power thereof. It's not how well you start, but it's how well you finish. Freshman year of college, the college president called us all in and went to a Bible college. 80% of us went into the ministry, called us into a room for a meeting. And he said, in this class, I don't know what there were, 70 or 80 of us in our class. He said, here's what's going to happen to this class. He said, in this class, and he started to go down, he said, 20 of you aren't even going to make your sophomore year. He said, the following numbers of you are going to wipe out spiritually. I'm thinking, oh man, this is not good. But something went deep into my heart. That God, by your grace, I want my last lap to be as good as my first lap. I want to finish strong. I want to finish with no black marks on my record because I've been faithful to the calling that God has given me. I, I want it to be said, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You're here tonight, and I want to tell you, you're off to a good start. But yet there's somebody here tonight that had a victory at Bayshore years ago, and you've lost the fire. It isn't what it used to be. You enjoyed the singing tonight. You enjoyed the tributes. Your heart choked up when they did the, the memorial tributes, but you have to say, you know what? It's not what it once was. You've grown old in the faith, and you've grown a little sour in the faith. It's time for you to make that turn because God says, I don't want you to be an old man sitting down there all by yourself in the little house. I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. Number three. Third lesson I learned on this passage of Scripture is never underestimate your capacity for self-deception. Never underestimate your capacity for self-deception. Never do it. This is exactly what happened to Uzziah. He deceived himself. He thought what was happening was because of who he was rather than who God was. He thought the military genius that he had was because of his fine advisors rather than God leading him. He thought the cattle that he had and the economic success he was experiencing was due to his hard work and diligence. He didn't realize that what he had was the smile of God upon him that was a revocable gift that could be taken away. We have an amazing ability to deceive ourselves. Never underestimate your capacity to rationalize. I see this all the time. Pastor drove up to my house a number of years ago. 
I was mowing my lawn. He pulls up to the mailbox. And he said, David, I just got to tell you. He said, I've decided that it's, it's time for me to, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to get a different wife. I thought, what in the world? It's like trading in cars. He said, I got to get a different wife. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I've been praying about this. God's led me to this woman in, in Canada, and I met her from years ago, and there's a fire in my heart toward her, and, and the fire for my, my wife just said, God wants me happy. And I had to look at him and say, buddy, you are, something's not right. This is not the spirit of God. You have deceived yourself. The father of all lies has deceived you, and you are rationalizing something that's not right. Somebody here tonight is rationalizing. Now, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Someone here tonight has areas of your life that aren't holy. Might be someone that's battling an addiction with pornography, and you're saying, well, this is just the way it works, and we all have this thing in the flesh, and you're battling it. It might be someone here tonight that's numbing pain through shopping continually, and you've rationalized it's okay because you have resources. Someone tonight that has a secret sin somewhere that's hiding out, and you say, well, it's okay. You know, we all mess up all the time. Never underestimate your capacity for self-deception. It's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. You'll end up a little old man, a little old woman, living in the little house. And they'll walk by and say, who is that old man? Who is that old woman? When they were destined to live in the king's house. Never underestimate that capacity. I'm a desperate community, a communicator. I'm desperate to communicate well. I just, I, when I stand up in front of people, people say, are you worried the audience is going to get bored? Never. I'm worried I'm going to get bored. You know, listening to me is tough. It's hard. I got to listen to all of them everywhere I go. I'm worried I get bored. So sometimes I try to find creative ways to communicate. And sometimes they work. And sometimes they don't. Easter Sunday, a few years back, I was desperate to communicate the message of salvation. And so I tried something that was just unreal. I tried. Pastor, go ahead and try it. It'll work for you. I tried an illustrated message. And what I did is I wanted to prove to people that you are saved only by the cross of Jesus Christ. And so what I did is I went and got two large stage props. Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, everyone comes Easter. C&E people, Christmas and Easter people, they're all there. It is the Sunday of the year. We pull out all the stops. And so I have prepared for this thing. And what I did is I went and got the biggest treadmill I could find and I brought it up on stage. I got a treadmill up on stage, and I know I'm a chubby buddy, but I got on the treadmill, and I turned that thing on, and I started walking. And I started preaching about people who think you're saved by works. You got to do good to get to heaven. And I'm going on that thing, and I'm, I'm having fun with it. And I'm talking about people who simply say, well, my good outweighs my bad. I'm going to do a little more, put a little more in the offering. And I turn up the speed on the treadmill. And I'm going faster. And people are thinking the old boy is going to have a heart attack. And I just keep going. And I'm showing them, I am in shape. I can do this thing. And I get off that thing. I mean, I'm running full speed, preaching at the same time. They're all watching, wondering when the boy's going down. But I pulled it off. And then what I did is I walked over. And I got the biggest overstuffed chair I could find at a furniture store. I asked him if I could borrow it for Easter Sunday morning. They said, absolutely. It's one of those big old super duper big daddy lazy boy recliners. And I got in that recliner and I cocked that sucker clear back and put my feet up in the air. And I said, there's some of you here who believe you get to heaven. You don't do anything. God does it all. God said, you're in, you're out, you're up, you're down. He chooses who goes, he chooses who doesn't. 
and you don't do a thing because God did it all. And all you do is just push back and just hope you got the lucky draw and hope you've gotten the lucky number on the lottery for heaven. And God chooses somebody, doesn't choose others. And I'm just, I, 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 I'm in the lazy boy enjoying it. Boy, they've got to get more of those in church. I mean, it was incredible. <laughs> People are envious of me. And then I get up and I walk over to the center. I walk to the center and I got this big old huge cross. And I say, it's not by works of righteousness that you've done. It's not that God has done everything and you don't do anything. It's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I preach the cross. I preach you've got to come to the cross of Christ, repent of your sins, accept him as Lord and Savior. I preach gospel 101, 101, 101. Heads bowed, eyes closed, gave an invitation. God works in a great way. Service is over. One of the associates comes up to me, and I've got two more services to go. Associate comes up to me and says, Dave, I, I think we have a problem. I said, what, what's the problem? He said, when you were on that treadmill, he said, you ripped your pants out. <laughs> he said, nobody noticed it until you got in the lazy boy and you kicked that sucker back. <laughs> he said, you flashed white on the entire congregation. <laughs> this, this, this didn't go like we planned, you know. I said, well, at least my underwear was clean. I mean, you know. And now I've got a crisis because the next service starts in 15 minutes and my pants are ripped out. But I'm a man. And we know how to solve problems. You betcha. I went back and I found a roll of duct tape. And I went back in the bathroom in my office and I duct taped the whole crotch of the pants up inside there. And it came time for the second service. I'm not, it's the gospel I'm preaching. I get on that treadmill in the second service with a duct tape in there and I run as hard as I ran in the first service. I go back in the lazy boy and it's all together and I preach the cross. Third service comes. I get on the treadmill, go as hard as I can. And then I recognize that things on the outside were good, but on the inside there was serious chafing going on. <laughs> it just don't work, honey. And I faked my way through that service. There wasn't a person in second or third service that had any white lightning hit them. I was good on the outside, but boy, on the inside, it took weeks to repair the damage. You know you can deceive others, but you can't deceive yourself and you can't deceive God. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. On the outside, we can make things look really good. And we can know how to say praise the Lord and hallelujah and amen and then cuss our wife out when we get home. Come on now. And we can go and we can go to church and go through the motions and then run out to work and let our lips go with all the guys and carry on and have some of the worst stuff that goes on. You see, Uzziah tried to play both ends against the middle and he deceived himself to the seriousness of his own sin. But he had fooled no one. Who is that old man down by the by the river in that little house. Who is that old man? That's a guy that was destined to be king. This isn't right. Number four, don't kill the Nathans in your life. Fourth observation is this, is don't kill the Nathans in your life. Now, when I say Nathan, I'm talking about the guy that went to David when he committed the sin with Bathsheba and called him out and said, buddy, you're a mess. You better repent. 
What happened to Uzziah is 80 prophets, oh, I love this, 80 prophets got together and said, you need to change. And Uzziah just kind of got a stiff neck and he kind of pulled his shoulders back and said, who are you to tell me? I'll do what I want to do. Never kill the Nathans in your life, the people that tell you the hard truth. Something that happens in the church today where we really like mercy givers, but we don't like prophets very well. Get those prophets out of the way. They're mean, they're mean, 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 mean. Some of us need people who look us square in the eyes and say, buddy, that doesn't look good on you. There's sin in your life. You need to change. You need to turn. You need to repent. Jesus was full of grace and truth, not grace or truth. He had truth. And Uzziah had so deceived himself that he gravitated toward anybody who would support what he wanted to hear rather than what he needed to hear. Who is that old man living down in that little house by the river? Who is that old man? It's the guy that, that killed the Nathans in his life. I have to be very honest with you. When I preach this stuff, it scares me. It scares me. I so desperately, I believe in the power of God to save and keep. But I also believe there's an enemy that has come to kill, steal, and destroy and wants to take me out. There is an enemy that wants nothing more than to put black marks behind my name. There's no, wants to destroy my soul. The, the, the Bible says he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. My dad is, is 94 years old. They did a, a big thing for him. One of the denominational leaders came in and did a big thing for him. Stood up and said this. He said, let me tell you one thing about Marvin Engbrecht. He said there are no black marks on his name. Something hit me and said, oh, God. When they run my picture of me at Bayshore Camp, and they said there was this guy back there in 2017 chubby buddy with white hair and, and, and we all thought he was the Bible teacher and he was selling the Bible teacher's books and you know all this stuff was going on I want them to say one thing about that guy is he stayed true to the Lord he kept his eyes on the cross and he said just give me Jesus give me Jesus give me Jesus last observation is this last observation is very simple we are not indispensable we are not indispensable the world does not revolve around us. Now, I'm not going to take the time to do this, but in Isaiah chapter 6, do you ever remember this one? Remember this little story in Isaiah 6? In the year King Uzziah died, I sought for a man. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. He died. As best we know, he died an old man in a little house with leprosy. And God had so much better for him. God had so much better for him. We're not indispensable. God doesn't owe us anything. The Bible says there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I don't know if you know this, but hell is real. Heaven is real. I didn't come to scare you into hell. 
I just came to tell you the truth that there's an enemy that is trying to do everything he can to take you out. He's trying to pour water on your fire. He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to let sin become rampant in your life. And it's the power of Jesus Christ that can do a work to save you, transform you, radically make you to have the inheritance that he died on the cross that you could have. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Tonight, as I came to him, the burden of my heart was very simple. Oh, God, there's some of my friends here at Bayshore that I love who the fire's growing a little cold in. There may be some that have grown half-hearted that are a little backslidden. They've just kind of gone back. They've lost the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You lose the joy, you lose your strength. Your hair's cut off, Samson. You're in trouble. And maybe tonight's the night that you can stop that thing of ending up a little old man down in the little house because you turned your back. And Jesus says, I love you. And I want you to come home. I want you to come home. I want you to be the person I destined you to be, the person I called you to be. I want you to have the inheritance that I died for. You see, there is a movement that is happening today in our country, and it's a separation between the half-hearted and the whole-hearted. It's a separation between those who are going to be fire-baptized and those who are going to watch the fire burn and not experience it. And I want to be a part of the people who say, God, here I am. I repent of my pride. I repent of my self-centeredness. I repent of trying to deceive others. God, here I am. I want to be a disciple of yours, radically sold out, radically committed, and following you. I keep this in my Bible, and I regularly read this to myself. Some of you may have heard this. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future secure. I'm finished and done with low living, slight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame vision, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need prosperity, promotions, position, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by the presence. I learn by faith. I walk by patience. I lift by prayer, and I labor in his power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My compassions are few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, or ponder at the pool of popularity. I won't give up, shut up, because I have prayed up, I've paid up, and i preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till I'll know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors are clear. Amen? Amen. And tonight, tonight, there's someone in this room the Spirit of God stirs on your heart and says it's time for you to do a little turn because the road you're on may take you to be the old man in the little house when you 
were destined by the blood of Christ on the cross to be a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's time to come home to him. I want you to bow your heads together with me. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed as Michelle comes. I don't know who this message is for tonight. I'm just obedient to Jesus. I'm going to ask Michelle right now just to play quietly. Because here's what I believe tonight as I prayed and as we prayed with the prayer team before the service. Tonight I believe with all my heart the Spirit of God is calling a dad to come back you're not off the rails totally, but you're headed the wrong direction. And he says, it's time for you to rededicate your life. He's calling the backslider to come home. He's calling someone that's kind of put on something on the outside and said, here it is. He's calling a half-hearted to make a full commitment tonight. I'm going to ask you to stand together with me right now. Would you do that? I want you to stand in the quietness of this moment. August 2nd, 2017. God sent a crazy Hoosier preacher to deliver a simple message that says, I did not die for you to be an old man or an old woman someday living in a little house. It's time. It's time to come home. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed in the quietness of this moment. I just want to invite you. You say, man, Dave, you're going to ask me to come to an altar? You know, there's something inside of me that says that's the way you die to pride. You say to the whole world, God, I got to get back on track. He loves you. I was in the back aisle of a church, watched my wife walk down an aisle to take me because she loved me in front of everyone. And tonight in this room, if you're off track and you say, this kind of had my name written on it, I'm going to ask you to step out. I'm going to ask you to come. Say, God, do a work in my heart. Do a work in my life. If your flame is starting to flicker, if your passions are starting to wane, if you sense this was a warning call for you, just come out. I'm going to ask the team to come up. And we're just prayerfully going to sing an old familiar song. The altar's open. I want you to be obedient to him. The Holy Spirit's going to talk to you, young man, young woman. I believe there's a dad here that simply says, I've not been the man I should be. I've, I've kind of backslid. I've kind of gone back. I'm going to ask you to come. Dad, I'm going to ask you to do the hardest thing you do as a man, and that is in front of your wife and your kids to step out and kneel. Mom, I'm going to ask you to do that. And I'm going to ask you just right now to be obedient to him. As you come, let's just sing together. The altar's open. Join these who have come. I want you to come right now.
want you to bow your heads together. I'm just going to ask the team to just sing that one time. I want you to listen. I don't want you looking around. I don't want you kind of scouting and saying, I wonder if anybody's going to come. Who moves? People are here praying. They're doing business. And even as we sing that, I'd like workers just to come on the inside of the altar and to pray with these that are here. You feel free to do that right now. If you can pray with someone, I don't want anyone praying by themselves, but they're going to sing this. The altar's open. Just be obedient to Jesus. This is his call to you tonight. He loves you so much that he simply said, I'm going to invite you tonight to rekindle a fire to meet him. You come as the team sings this. Heads bowed. Just pray to him. about your eyes closed just in the quietness of this moment. You were here tonight and while the message was given and the invitation is given, you sensed a measure of discomfort. You sensed like the Holy Spirit was just kind of giving you that elbow in the ribs. He was talking to you. I don't ever want you to leave resisting the Spirit of God. And so if the Holy Spirit tonight just kind of gave you that and you'd say, Dave, I, I didn't respond, but man, I just want him to keep working with me. I don't want to be the old man in the little house. And you'd just take your hand and you'd slip it up and say, Spirit of the living God, keep working on me, keep working. Your hand in the air right now is just begging him not to turn his deaf ear to you. God bless you. You just, you just lift it up and say, God, keep talking to me. God bless you. God bless you. Different ones across here right now. God's speaking to you. Now, all you're doing with raising the hand is saying, God, I heard you. I heard you. Keep working on me. Keep working on me. And he's going to do it. Many of you cross here. Now, what I want to do is I want to make sure everyone who's praying here has someone that's praying with them. I want to make sure they do. So I'm going to need some men over here. I'm going to need some women. I, I want to pray. We need to pray with each other out loud. That's so good to do that. So if you can do that, pastors or other workers, if you can come, we're going to do that. We're going to spend some time praying. You know, I have a seeking suspicion tonight that there's someone here that's not born again. You don't know what it is to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And you said, Dave, I, I'm not backslidden. 
I'm just not, I'm just, I've never been saved. I don't know if I die, I go to heaven. We're going to be right here. We'd love to pray with you. Wouldn't it be incredible tonight if your name was written forever in the Lamb's book of life? And so we're going to be right here, ready to do that. I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction. I'm going to ask us tonight in our dismissal for the team just to quietly sing as we dismiss. Could you do that, Matt? And as I pray, this is going to be kind of a prayer of benediction. You can go to the next order of business. I know there's activities tonight that you're going to be a part of. But let's just keep this a sweet, sacred moment. Can we do that? Father God, thank you. I love you. I love you. You're amazing. You're incredible. Keep working. Keep working. Let the smile of God be on Bayshore. Let the smile of God be on God's people here. And may we have the fire of the Spirit in our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. God bless you. They're going to sing you out in a spirit of worship.